This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, August the 13th, 2023. Thank you for joining with me today. My friends, today we are continuing in the opening section of Proverbs as we wrap up chapter 1. Proverbs is most famous for its short statements of wisdom, such as Proverbs 16.8 that says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Right? Short to the point and containing great wisdom. But in this opening section of Proverbs that really runs chapters 1 through 9, what we have rather is a series of discourses. Some, such as last week, are set as parents speaking to their child, most of the times father speaking to his son, um, and, and the parents calling the children to wisdom and warning them of folly. Now, in other sections, other lectures, discourses that we have, what we have is wisdom personified as a person, often as a woman. We talked about that in our introductory messages, speaking to the wise and the foolish. And then sometimes, we'll see this today, directly to the reader. So this, again, this is what we find in our passage today, where for the first time in Proverbs, here at the end of chapter 1, wisdom steps forward. And my friends, <laughs> what wisdom has to say is forceful, if not downright frightening. In fact, these opening words of wisdom are among the strongest, if not the strongest, in all of Proverbs. Wisdom has something to say here, and she doesn't mince words. Now, as we engage with this text, I just want to go back and reiterate a few important things we covered in our opening message Right, important considerations for how we interpret this scripture, right? how we look at the text, specifically the collection of Proverbs. We call the book of Proverbs. Okay, just a few. First of all, the Proverbs are principles of truth, not promises of outcomes. And we gave the example of the proverb that says, rights of a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. Well, <laughs> in court, in, in, unless they do, right? because we know Godly families who have raised up their children, who have turned away from, from the faith, and, and the opposite, right? These are not guaranteed um, promises of outcomes, but rather they are valuable, precious principles of the truth of God to us, okay? Lots more we could talk about there. We covered that in depth in the opening message, but another, and it's the concept of folly in Proverbs, is quite expansive, Sometimes we will hear wisdom speaking to the simple, right? And this is the idea of people who just aren't paying attention, who can't be bothered to really think things through. But folly also is often synonymous with evil and almost always infers an intentional and comprehensive rejection of God's wisdom and truth. So we're going to hear about the foolish, about folly a lot in today's passage. It's important to understand what that's talking about. Another important concept is that while the wisdom of Proverbs are true, they often are not the complete truth about the subject at hand. Right? The Proverbs are incredible, precious truth, but they're not necessarily the last or highest word about any given topic that they speak to. And friends, this leads us to the third point, just starting off here, which is that the wisdom of Proverbs points us to Christ. And at the same time, 
The wisdom of Proverbs bows before the even greater wisdom of the character, the nature, and the purposes of God in Christ. We took an entire message in our introductory series to cover that. As great and wonderful and true as the Proverbs are, the greater wisdom is the wisdom of God in Christ. And my friends, this is particularly important as we will engage with today's passage. Okay, so let's jump in. Wisdom steps forward and she begins her speech with a call of urgency, starting in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. All right. Friends, wisdom doesn't wait for an audience to come to her. She goes out to the people. The imagery here is comprehensive. Wisdom speaks out in the open, in the public square where people are assembled, from the top of a wall where people will hear. And the phrase, at the city gates, is a reference to public officials. You see, from the common man in the street, to the leaders of society, to everyone, wisdom shouts and begs and warns and pleads and even laughs out her message. With these opening words, we hear that no one is exempt from the blessings of wisdom on one hand and the great perils of folly on the other. And so having captured our attention, wisdom begins with a call to listen and repent. Verse 22 and 23. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. Friends, the words how long here indicate that the audience, the people that wisdom is speaking to, really representing in a very, I guess in the largest sense, the human condition, that they have been rejecting God's wisdom for a long time. And they've been rejecting God's wisdom continually. You know, as I mentioned, the simple are those who aren't necessarily evil, but yet they are comfortable in their own ways. Really just ignoring the crucially important matters of life, ignoring wisdom's call, and just loving the way things are that they want them to be. But the problem is that just this simple, almost passive reject rejection of God's wisdom, you know, like a little lie. It doesn't stay small. It leads to an active rejection, even to a mocking and hatred of God's ways. And the sense here is that fools mock and hate knowledge because wisdom and knowledge will expose their foolish ways. You know, Jesus spoke to this in John chapter 3, in John 3, 19 and 20, when he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Right? And we see that exact dynamic here in Wisdom's opening words. As she cries out, how long? Right? How long is this going to go on? For even after all this time, if you hear, consider, then humble yourselves and turn and repent, then I will make myself known to you. All right, friends, another important thought here. You know, when we read this, these opening words, it's very easy 
and I would say very tempting, for us to hear this call to the simple and to the foolish, and in our minds to have an idea of who we think this is. And very, very likely, we don't think it is us. You know, we may think of people with whom we disagree politically, socially, culturally, and morally. People we think are the problem with society. Perhaps people that we fear. And they come to mind and we think, they are the fools. They are the simple. They are the ones who are ignoring God. They are the ones wisdom speaks to. And they are the ones who need to repent. And very likely, they do. Whoever they may be. But friends, we must not hear, we must not miss this, that so do we. In this passage and through all of Proverbs, we must continually resist the temptation to deflect and to map these truths onto others. Friends, because God just may be speaking to us. And so we hear wisdom begging, there is still time, but tragically, that time may run out. And friends, now we must hear wisdom's profoundly uncomfortable words as we are told the terrible consequence of folly. So church, buckle in. Going on in verse 24 down through verse 32. And this is the heart, right? This is the thrust of this entire passage. And wisdom says, right, having called us to her attention and having called us to repentance, wisdom says, but since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Wow. Friends, what comes to your mind when you hear this? Right, you may want to pause this audio, go back and read that passage several times. Just let that imagery and that language sink in. Because it may be very troubling, definitely sobering. You know, it's, maybe it's possible that someone hears this and thinks, yeah, that's what those fools deserve. And friends, if even something like that enters our heart, we need to tread very carefully. <clears throat> so let's start by just unpacking this a bit. Wisdom here speaks directly to the foolish, since you refuse to listen. And the image here is of a person willfully, consciously, Making, making the choice to reject God's wisdom, even as this wisdom takes the initiative to reach out and to call out. The image of an outstretched hand that we saw, this describes the natural consequence of rejecting God's wisdom 
right? Sometimes we think of that in, in, in the idea of God's wrath. <clears throat> even when we see the suffering, the point is that even when we see the suffering that results from foolish choices, even still we don't pay attention. Again, this is a person who is actively and purposefully disregarding wisdom's, wisdom's advice and pridefully rejecting correction. And now, <laughs> it seems that wisdom, that wisdom just gets mean. I, in turn, will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelms you. Again, wow. It's not only this, wisdom declares that at this point that she has had enough and it's too late to change. And friends, at this point, wisdom turns and speaks directly to us, speaks directly to the reader, where the you changes to they. In films today and some television shows today, this is called breaking the fourth wall, when a character in a story turns and speaks directly to the audience. You know, it's as if wisdom is done with the fool and now turns to us with her terrible final words. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and will be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Friends, wisdom declares here that at this point there is no longer any hope. And wisdom does so almost with this sense of schadenfreude. And you know what that word means? It means taking joy or pleasure in another person's suffering. It's like wisdom is saying, you rejected me before, and look at you now. You made this bed. Now you have to lie in it. And then with great finality, wisdom sums up her warning. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Okay, deep breath. Friends, here is a question. With these words of wisdom, right? Wisdom personified as a person speaking to us. Does wisdom here speak from or represent the heart and the nature of God? I mean, what do we do with this passage? In the context of this passage, how do we understand the nature of wisdom in the nature of God? And this is a critically important question. And there's primarily two big approaches to it, and they're quite different. Now, one perspective is that this passage is an existential warning about judgment and the eternal consequence of rejecting God. As one conservative commentator put it, wisdom's, wisdom's message is repent now because at the time of judgment, there will be no second chance. Now, my friends, you can have a conversation about biblical teaching regarding judgment and eternal destiny. And that's a very important biblical topic. But is that what is happening here? Because there's another perspective with which I really tend to agree. And it's that rather than this being a metaphor of end times judgment, here, wisdom speaks of the very practical, very real, and terrible consequences of rejecting wisdom now in this life. Think with me. Friends, 
Have you ever faced the consequence of your own foolish action? Right? Have you ever done something that you were warned against and you blew off the warning? Right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Right? I know what's best here. And you plowed forward in your folly and the results were disastrous. Right? Anyone? <laughs> if not, right, try to imagine that. And that in that place of the consequences of our action, what would it feel like then for the person who had warned us to come up and say, see, see? You know, very well would feel like that they are mocking you. I mean, friends, when in the human condition, when we reject wisdom and truth and then face the natural consequence of our actions, that same wisdom and truth could, that could have protected us can seem as if it is now laughing at us. Furthermore, it's just a simple and yet tragic reality of life that the consequences of foolishness can often be final. You know, across many years of working as a trauma chaplain, time and again, I've seen the tragic and irreversible consequences of destructive behavior. You know, an attribute of pride is when we think that we are immune to the consequences of our actions. And that at times it may seem that way, but as a principle, we are not. I mean, a person caught in the deep trap of drug and alcohol abuse or for that matter, entrenched in racism, fear, and hatred, may come to a place of a desire to change, may even cry out for help, but the tragic reality being that there are places from which there are no return, physically, if not also mentally and emotionally. But friends, I want to tell you something I've never seen. This, this may happen from time to time, but I've never seen it. Even when working alongside emergency room nurses and surgeons who have, who have seen unspeakable suffering across many years, I've never seen anyone there laughing or mocking a suffering person. Frustration? Sure. Anger? Yeah. I mean, I've seen and felt sadness and even times resignation but I've never seen anyone laughing or taking joy at the foolishness and the resulting consequences in another human being. And if some person were to do that, we would consider them profoundly spiritually and emotionally unhealthy. So if this is how we, as fallen and broken humans, would see the suffering of our fellow man and woman, then why would we ever think that God would mock, laugh at, or take satisfaction in the suffering of his creation, even if that suffering was the result of our rejection of God and his goodness. And friends, the reality is, is that God doesn't do this. To try and map this early response of Proverbs wisdom to the suffering of folly, right, to attribute that to the character and nature of God, would be to ignore the overwhelming, consistent, and clear nature of God that we see throughout Scripture. All right, let's just, let's just look at this staying in the Old Testament for a moment. Psalms 103, verses 8 through 12. Listen to what this says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. 
for he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7, verses 18 through 20. Again, listen to how this contrasts with the tone in the words of Proverbs wisdom. And the prophet Micah says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the, rem of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. For you again will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham. Right there, that's personifying Israel. As you pledged an oath to our ancestors in the days long ago. Oh, that's so important and so beautiful. And friends, just for a second, let me push a little deeper into this. That last statement that we read there from Micah, right? That you will show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago, right? Do you know what that's referring to? What this is, is an incredible, it's referring, it's looking back to this incredible and honestly somewhat bizarre scene all the way back in Genesis 15. It's the culmination, really the sealing of God's original covenant with Abraham. And if you go back and read that, you'll see that God has instructed Abraham to sacrifice several animals and to arrange the parts of their bodies right alongside each other to mark out the two sides of a short path. Now, right, from research and study that people have done, we know that in Israel and in the ancient Middle East, this was a known form of making the most solemn and binding covenant, a blood covenant. Right? The two parties entering the covenant would make these sacrifices, then one at a time, they would state their promise under the covenant, what they pledged to do in this covenant, and then walk between the sacrificed animals. And in doing so, they were saying, if I fail to keep my side of the covenant, you can kill me. If I, feel, if I fail to keep my side of the covenant, I will cease to live. This is the form of covenant that God instructs Abraham to prepare. And so he does this. He prepares the sacrifice. And then we pick up in Genesis 15, 17. And we read that when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared, right? That is an image of God. It appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, Abraham, to your descendants, I give this land. From the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Debusites. And then that's it. The scene ends. My friends, if you've never heard this, we can't miss this. In this point, right, God did not ask Abraham to promise anything. The covenant to Abraham was 100% God. I mean, in the most famous and fundamental covenant that God ever made with his people in all of the Old Testament, God said, I will keep this covenant with you no matter what. 
It was an unconditional covenant. God said, my covenant with you is everlasting and it is not contingent on what you do. It is assured because of who I am. My friends, God is faithful even when we are faithless. God does not delight in the suffering of his creation, even when it is a result of our own sin. In his sovereignty and love, God consents to our free will. God consents to our ability to reject him, which inevitably brings about human suffering. But God is a God of mercy, grace, redemption, and above and supreme to all else. He is a God of love. And friends, now wisdom makes a final plea. Wisdom has made her case of the high cost of folly. And her final word, though, is an invitation back into hope. Verse 33, but, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Friends, that is a principle of truth. Remember, inherent in the Proverbs is the idea of sowing and reaping, action and consequence, in the dynamics of this life, very often portrayed in black and white terms. Right? If you follow wisdom and honor God, this good thing will happen. But if you're a fool, this bad thing will happen. Right? That's a form that we see multiple times throughout Proverbs. But as we have discussed, it's just an observable, an observable fact that at times, suffering comes upon the wise, the godly, and the innocent. And at times, evil and injustice goes unpunished. And sometimes it seems like even rewarded. And yet, this principle of truth stands. When we walk in the way of wisdom, and our love of God yields within us obedience to God, we are set free from fear and we are blessed even when the inevitable struggles and injustices of life may come. But my friends, far greater than the principle of safety and peace in this life, right, that this verse speaks to and all the wisdom of Proverbs speaks to, this all also points to the promise of peace for our soul that is possible through the even greater wisdom of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. You know, we've looked at how the Old Testament proclaims the goodness, the mercy, the forgiveness, the faithfulness, and the eternal love of God. And when we turn our eyes to the cross, this picture of God's true nature becomes stronger still. So let's end with this. Friends, if we ever are tempted to look out upon the world around us and the foolishness of humanity, and if we're ever tempted to take pleasure in or mock the failures and sufferings of those that we might consider our enemies, that we might consider the foolish, you know, if we're ever tempted to take wisdom's laughter at the consequence of folly and use this as an excuse for our own laughter at the brokenness of others, oh, my friends, May we be humbled. May we always be humble and look to the Spirit and rather, and in great contrast, see this world through the lens of Jesus. In Philippians 2, verses 5 and 11, 5 through 11, of course,
course, the very famous statement. We see this. In your relationships with one another, all right? And I'm going to expand that. I think given the context of the gospel, we can expand that to understand Paul saying, in your relationships with people, in your relationships with the world around you, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See the world around you through the lens of Christ, who, being in very nature God, right? In the clearest, in Christ, we see the clearest, complete picture of the nature of God. Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. My friends, and who did Christ die for? He died for the fool. He died for the simple. He died for all of us. Paul continues that therefore God exalted Christ to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. My friends, the consequences of folly, of ignoring God's wisdom and goodness, these consequences are real, and they can be terrible. And wisdom cries out for us to hear. If these words of wisdom make us uncomfortable, they should, because the cost of rejecting God's wisdom is high. But in stark contrast, in Christ and by his grace, God invites us, the simple and the fools, to listen, to hear, to repent and turn, so that he may pour out his presence and his nature, and his character, and his goodness into our lives. My friends, may we hear how God's wisdom is speaking to us. Church, I love you. Thanks for tracking with me today. And we'll be back here again next week.